You are listening to the Therefore I Geek podcast, episode number 22. Hi everybody and welcome to Therefore a Geek. I'm Andrew. And I'm Tracy. And joining us today is Eric Donovan. What's a, up? <laughs> uh, the comic artist and inker. So welcome to the sh- welcome to uh, the show. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for having me. I mean we uh Eric's coming to us on a little bit of a short notice. We uh, we greatly appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we had a chance to talk to him at Tidewater Comic Con very briefly. Yeah, and um fun. Yeah, it was it was a good time. That was a great show. Yeah, I really liked it. I was, I'm really glad we have a really cool local show to us now to go to. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this year. Yeah, no, it, was, uh, it should be a good time, especially with the uh, the full-on two-day show now. Oh, yeah. I got a lot of friends uh, who've been messaging me or emailing me or whatever, like, hey, you heard about Tidewater Comic-Con? Yeah, man, it's <laughs> awesome. You should come. So it's cool. Some of my friends are going to be there as well this coming year. Oh, nice. nice. Um, who are from out of town, so. Very cool. So, uh, Eric, to kind of get us started here, how did you actually get into uh, into doing comic art? Um. So, yeah, basically in 2009, uh, I think it was, yeah, I'd been working retail for about five, six years, and I was sick of it, and I always wanted to draw. That was always kind of my dream. And so I decided to look around for some schools, for some art schools, and I ended up uh, looking into SCAD, actually, because I had an uncle who had gone there years back uh, when they first started. And I saw they had a comic program. I was like, oh, comics are cool. Like, I like to write and I like to draw. This looks like it'd be great. You know, I'd always kind of read different comics, Calvin and Hobbes I grew up with, the old Supermans, um, Batman. Like the original ones, you know, uh, right? And also, you know, peanuts and stuff like that that I really enjoyed. Um, and then I really got into anime and manga when I was primarily anime um, when I was in high school. So that all kind of followed into that love of the comic style of art. So I thought I'd check it out. And once I got there and started studying it, and I just really, really fell in love with it, um, and I've been doing it since. Very cool. Real quick, uh, what is SCAD? SCAD is Savannah College of Art and Design. There are art schools in Savannah, Georgia, but they also have a campus in Atlanta, uh, Lacoste, France, and Hong Kong. So, wow, pretty big, yeah. Savannah is very nice. Yeah, Savannah is a beautiful place. I've heard the same about Hong Kong. I wish I knew that for <laughs> for myself. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I never made it out there, but hopefully one day. You mentioned at the end of one of your comics that we're going to talk about in a minute that sure. your background taught you that the apocalypse was an inevitable event. Sure. But you don't think so now. What was your background? I'm just curious. I was raised Christian. So that was, you know, a big formative part of my life growing up. Uh, okay. But since then, my worldview has changed uh, pretty significantly. Uh, I still still believe in a lot of the kind of principles that I was raised by, but not necessarily in the the kind of core tenets of the religion itself. Nice. Okay. 
Yeah. yeah. So you know, the end of the of the Bible is the Revelation, which is kind of the apocalypse, God returning to Earth, and you know the beast and all that kind of stuff. So growing up to me, that was always a yes, this is going to happen kind of thing. You know, this is this is literally true, um, rather than you know kind of interpreting it any other way. What changed your mind about it? I mean, you said that your your worldview changed. Was it more than that, or just kind of a a growing experience and kind of a a larger picture that made you think that it wasn't quite yeah so i mean really i think it was kind of a combination of both life experience definitely played a big part um growing up i was homeschooled and i got a pretty darn solid education that way but at the same time i was sheltered from a lot of different um experiencing a lot of different kind of people or the ways different people live their life cultures and stuff like that and once i got older and I get, you know, got kind of out into the world and started making new friends who weren't necessarily raised the way that I was. Um, I started meeting new people and kind of thinking about why people are the way they are in different places. And as I learned more and as I studied more about either cultures or different religions, I began to see, you know, a lot of common threads and it just kind of changed the way that I looked about the way that I was raised. Uh, the way that I thought about the way I was raised, which was kind of the, I guess, the seed, if you want to call it that, that uh, changed the way I looked at it. Sure. Life, yeah. You can't see me. I'm nodding vigorously. Yeah. <laughs> so, so going back to your 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 comic um, background a little bit. Mm-hmm. So at least the first the first the first work I've seen of yours is um, you had some work in the in the dark anthology. Yes. So how did you get involved in that, and, and what was that kind of like? Uh, I mean, it was awesome to work on, for one. Um, Rachel, uh, who put that together and also wrote a couple of the short stories for that, is an awesome person. Um, and she had a really cool idea, and I got into it because a number of friends or acquaintances of mine uh, were interested in it. And at the time, um, the webcomic that I was working on, which uh, it was the Super Mario Rose 2 webcomic was on hiatus for a little bit and I needed something to kind of pay some bills and (laughs) have something to do and so I asked a couple of my friends like hey man you know if anything happens to float by could you recommend it my buddy Drew Moss who lives here also Mm -hmm. in uh, Hampton who's a comic artist as well for Oni and IDW and Dark Horse he knew Rachel and kind of put me in her direction and then through her I met James and we just kind of struck a note struck a chord with each other really enjoyed working together and started on in the dark and after that kind of went from there as this this is the same James you worked on memetic with correct yeah we've done uh three three projects together now we've done the in the dark uh we have a creator-owned series on thrillbent.com which is a digital first comic platform I'm not sure if you're familiar with it but it was founded by Mark Wade a couple years ago Okay. Um, so we have a story on that called The House in the Wall, and that's also uh, with our other friend Noah, J. Yunkel, um, who is the other writer of it. So I did the art, and Noah and James wrote it. And then me and James also worked on Mimetic this past year. Yeah, Mimetic is from uh, Boom Studios. Yep. So, I mean, what was what was that kind of like? I mean, you, you got a little, a little bit of the, in the, little bit of the, the, the major publishers with IDW and the, the anthology. Yeah. And then you got some more, a little bit, little bit bigger piece, I think, for with Mimetic. Right. Yeah. I mean, working with Boom is great. All the people 
that I've met from that company from Ross down have been really nice people. You know, my editors were amazing and, you know, uh, meeting the publishers and some of the other editorial staff and other artists at conventions and everything there. I really enjoy the kind of outlook they have on the comic industry and what they want to accomplish both as a business and uh, as a culture in comics. And I also just like their style of um, uh, editorial with their artists. It's very collaborative. It's not a lot of point and point and order kind of stuff. It's very, you know, let's discuss about this kind of story points or if we want certain changes, why we want them. And they're also willing to kind of have that back and forth with you too. Like, okay, well, if you're thinking this, you know, why? And let's kind of go from there. So it was a really good, good experience working with them. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, and um, for those who aren't familiar, Mimetic uh, is a is a three part comic that uh, basically does a, a weaponized meme that that brings around brings about the the destruction of the world in three days, yep. which is kind of a fascinating concept to me. Yeah, yeah, especially you. Know, I mean, I can kind of see it, like especially with all the cat memes around. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like you never know. Whenever I got the script for that, uh, you know, I already really enjoy James's style of writing and working with him because the experiences we'd had before. And then when I got the script and saw what his kind of idea for the, the story outline was, I knew right then I was like, this, this idea is it's relevant. It's fun. It's really smart. So now I just got to make it awesome. Look awesome. And, uh, you know, and it seems like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm proud of the work I did and people seem to really be responding to it, which is really awesome. So no, it's it's really nice work. So I, I assume that the 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 general idea for for the sloth um, mm-hmm. came came from James. Right. How much how much of a input in in the actual design of the the meme did you have? I mean, basically, I can say all of it because actually our colorist Adam Gazowski played a really big role. And um, but really, the script just says a meme give you know a sloth giving a thumbs up. And okay. That, that was basically it. So I just kind of came up with, uh, I initially came up with one that showed the whole body. And I think it's actually in the back. You can kind of see a little sketch of it in the back of the first issue. And editor, you know, me and Eric and Jasmine, my editors, they were kind of like, well, you know, this isn't bad, but we don't get enough of the experience and kind of expression on his face. So then I came up with the other version, which is what the final version is. Um, and then from there, that went to Adam, and he came up with that really cool swirly effect that you see. So yeah, that, that messes with me a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I think it was a really, really brilliant addition um, that kind of sold the thing in a way that just having the sloth would not have. So it was really a very collaborative process, I think, between all of us. So I think one of the things that caught me the most in this story, and I know I realize that um, we're talking mostly about the illustration, but that it wasn't really explained. I mean, right. okay, it's just a JPEG file. What yep. is it about this particular thing? And I, I have to admit, when you told me the the basis behind the story at Comic Con, I went, "What? Yeah. That's, okay, okay, okay. I'll follow you down that rabbit hole." And then it actually it makes a lot of sense the way that the meme changes. But yep. the the fact that it's kind of it's it's true thriller material, and that it was just never explained. It's just left up to the imagination of the reader. I think that's really an awesome uh, way of telling the story. Yeah, and I I agree. I really felt like that was smart. Um, but there's also a little bit of that nervousness coming around to when the third issue is coming out. Like, well, you know, I know how it's going to happen, and, and me and James think this is awesome, and everyone at Booms think this is awesome, but hopefully we're not going to have 
people who are just yelling at us for not explaining more. But <laughs> I think people really got it. They got what we were trying to do with it um, and appreciate the ambiguity uh, rather than, you know, being upset that not every single little bit of it was spelled out. So, yeah. And at the, at the end, you can go to the chat with the creator section. Yeah. You talk about the ending giving you a sense of hope. Yeah. I'm kind of curious about, about <laughs> why that, why, why that gives you a sense of hope. <laughs> it's, it's obviously, it's not hope for humanity. I mean, humanity. Yeah. Yeah. They're toast. Destroyed. But it's more the idea that at the end, you know, and it's kind of twisted in a way, but Aaron still makes a choice for himself. And that there's still a little bit of him that he's able to make his own choice at the end. But at the same time, it is also a choice born out of, of loneliness and despair. So, you know, I don't know. I, I wouldn't really call it uplifting. But for me, it was kind of like, yeah, you know, at least at least he was at the end. And, you know, he's happy at the mm-hmm. end. too. He yeah. makes his choice. So he he gets to decide whether he wants to retain his sense of self or whether he wants to join the throng. And so that's kind of where that hope comes from. He makes his choice and he's happy with it. So I guess that's what it is, um, that hope for me. Okay. Can you explain the bleeding eyes? Why? I mean, because some, um, some of humanity doesn't fall to the power of the original meme. It, it changes and it evolves. And right. then other things are more, um, it's a verbal thing that makes them change. Right. So horrible, why do yeah. their eyes, yeah, why do their eyes continue to bleed? I'm just curious. I think, I mean, really, as far as like the later stages of it, um, I think it's, you know, just kind of that hemorrhaging in the brain as it's going crazy. Um, But it also keeps a visual continuity between them because if you start having all these different versions of them that aren't really explained and you just kind of see like, they're cool, but it could also be a little confusing. Like, is that person actually a screamer? So having that as that sort of unifying it's a strong visual people see it and you know immediately like the bleeding eyes there the screamer so excellent kind of, Got uh, you. yeah right, where, where would you say you get your your art influences from you mentioned a little bit of like manga but are there any particular mangas or particular comics or artists that you 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 pull from yeah i mean growing up it's a lot of like waterson and uh, i didn't really read a lot of the floppy comics that you would get either in uh, newsstands or at comic stores. So my experience with comics was either in, you know, bound collections that you'd see at, say, a library um, of like old Superman or Batman, or you know, going to a friend's house who had some old ones. Uh, so I came a lot from book illustration, uh, newspaper illustration, that kind of thing. But then in getting into comics and anime, Final Fantasy honestly played a big part. Of the game that kind of when I was, I think it came out in the U.S. right when I was about thirteen. And that sort of like blew my mind. Whoa, this story looks so cool. And if you look in the art book, it has, or in the in the uh, strategy guide, it has like the actual drawings that Tetsuya Nomura, who was the character designer, did. It's like, whoa, these look really cool. And my friends are like, oh, it's anime. Then you see anime and like Akira and uh, Armitage the Third and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean. Being younger, it was a lot more from anime magazines. I was really into like Gundam Wing and Roni Kenshin and what was on Cartoon Network, Dragon Ball Z. And now, you know, I see a lot of really great artists from all over the place. Um, I've been a big fan of Sean Murphy for a long time. He's, you know, just continuing to prove uh, his skill 
at draftsmanship and storytelling and just with a really energetic style of inking. Um, I read Blankets a couple years before I came to SCAD and really started, started studying comics. Um, but that kind of brushy style that Craig Thompson has in Blankets, uh, I really kind of responded to as well. So, yeah, it's kind of a mix of, of a lot of different influences, um, I think especially because I was into the anime and game design a lot for a while, looking at concept artists and stuff like that. Very cool. Um, so I've noticed, at least for the um, Into the Dark and, in, and for Mimetic, um you've done your own inking. Yep. So have you always done your own inking? Have you, yes. Or do you prefer to do it? Yes. Inking is my favorite. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, we, got you, we got you to talk about it a little bit at the Tidewater Comic Con, but I wanted to... See if we can get a little more from you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, inking has kind of been, uh, because of the way I pencil, it's not a super tight, you know, you have every mark that kind of needs to be made, like you might have um, from some other artists on a lot of the bigger projects where they're having a, a, I don't want to call it assembly line, but that kind of working process where you have a penciler, inker, color, letterer. So those pencilers tend to have to, unless they're very familiar with working with their inker, they have to make sure that their pencils pretty much have everything in there so that depending on who ends up inking it, it doesn't kind of go in any direction. But when you're inking your own work, you have the freedom where as long as you have a good sense of what your drawing structure is going to be and kind of what needs to go where, you can give yourself a lot more freedom to just sort of play. So it's very uh, kind of expressive in that way. And it's like a, it's a, the act of it using my brushes and my inks or something that's really fun for me. Getting my hands messy. I mean, I got ink all over my hands right now. That's yeah, what it's, exactly. it's, it's so fun. And I, and I don't feel kind of constrained by it. Like, oh, no, I might make a wrong mark. Like, what's going to happen if I mess this mark up? It's like, well, that's what you got white out for. Don't spill your ink bottle on your drawing. But, you know, have some fun and let kind of what happens happen with it. So That's what I was going to ask if you do most of your art digitally or manually. Yeah, no, I do it all analog. I don't think I've done more than maybe like one or two digital drawings ever. And I mean, that's there's a lot of people who do really great digital art and they're really mm -hmm. fast at it. Um, and, you know, there might be some areas where I could speed my process up by doing that. But I like, I'm, I've always been working this way. So there's a certain familiarity with it, you know, sure. since I was young, obviously. Um, and, you know, all we had was MS Paint and a mouse. I enjoyed, but I could do <laughs> drawings with a pencil, you know. We didn't sure. have tablets or anything back then. So um, now, you know, I'm still familiar with that, and I like having that original piece of art. And as much as, you know, there's so much great digital art out there right now, the more and more we go digital, the less actual original art we'll have left. And that's something that I like to have that, you know, leave yeah, my family or whoever down the line will enjoy having some actual drawings instead of, you know, JPEGs or something on a hard drive. So, Yeah, you, you also mentioned at, at Tidewater, uh, which is really interesting, is doing it you know, the old-fashioned way, to, so to speak, uh, really make, forces you to, to, to work with intent. Yes. Absolutely. That, you know, there's, there's no, con you know, you said you've got whiteout, but there's no control Z. Yeah. So if you really screw something up. <laughs> yeah, it's screwed up. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I think that's something regardless of whether you're working traditionally or digitally, having some of that experience working traditionally is going to help you no matter what. 
because it's forcing your your brain to interact with your hand in a different way. It's forcing you to be very decisive in the marks or the lines that you make. And, you know, I've seen sometimes videos of people drawing, and they're beautiful drawings um, done digitally on, you know, YouTube or wherever. But you see them making that same line five, six, seven times until it just kind of looks like how they want. And it still might be fast for them, you know, because they're so used to doing it now. But it's like you end up just sort of making a whole bunch of marks, finding the one you like, and you're just hitting, you know, backspace every time or control Z, you know, undo till you get the line you want. Whereas when you're on a paper, you just kind of have to decide here's the line and let it be. And you get a level of expression with that, especially if you're using like a brush or a nice pen that has some different line weight qualities in the tip that you can really make the drawing have a lot more energy and life too. Um, I feel like so, but again, you know, I'm not hitting on, on digital artists. I have plenty of friends and seen plenty of art that's done digitally. That's like, geez, you know, it's gorgeous. So, yeah. Now, whether it's digitally or traditionally, kind of what do you see as the importance of, of inking? Yeah, sure. I mean, especially now when we don't, I mean, originally because inking was kind of required because of the technology we had at the time and how the scanning works, you know, you didn't have the capability to pick up a light pencil drawing. You had to have those solid blacks and whites. And now inking is more, I, I, I honestly say it's more of an aesthetic than anything else. It's getting to be at that point. I mean, you're going to see more and more artists eventually who, if you're, I mean, because we're going digital, saying inking is almost going to lose its meaning at some point, unless you're doing it traditionally. Because right. you don't really have a penciling, you don't really have an inking, you don't, it's all just sort of a different step in your process to getting the finished art. Whereas if you're doing a traditional style comic piece, you know, you're actually using ink, you're actually using pencil, but um, yeah, to me, I think it's at this point, it's more of an aesthetic and it's also something that kind of goes with comic art. It's about line. It's not so much about value or which is what you would get with grays or with uh, the color still incredibly important, but you're still focused on what is the line rather than the shape, say, if you were painting or, you know, using just color, um, the shape is actually what's, what's giving you the image. So, yeah, I mean, I guess to, again, ranting, but aesthetic um but it's an aesthetic that i like and i think people will continue to like for comics because it's what they're you know kind of familiar with but it's cool to be able to see a lot of different looks that we're going to be able to accomplish because of the technology we have now right yeah i mean if um probably a year year and a half ago i was reading through old the old stanley Mm jenkins the x-men and at the time i was like okay i understand you know like like why they did inking but i didn't I didn't quite yeah. understand it. And like, it's like issue six or eight, the inker yeah. changes and it just completely changes, completely yeah. changed the art. Like the art went from okay, kind of passable to much, yeah. much better based on who was doing it. And it was like, and the, and the light bulb went on. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, I'm starting to understand what's yeah. going on here now. Like, and how, how important this is yeah, to absolutely. the process. Yeah. I mean, the, that's it. Every inker is going to ink differently, just like every penciler or artist is going to have a different way of approaching, you know, constructing their shapes or their forms or whatever. So same with, you know, with colorists who really get into the color theory and the different, you know, each person's going to bring something unique to the table. Uh, it's not really just easily replaceable. I think that for a while, a lot of especially the, the more mainstream stuff 
um, because of the the needs that they had for production and keeping with their you know characters branding and stuff the inkers they would get tended to and this is more you know recently probably in the the 90s and stuff later when comics were blowing up so much and they needed to continually get you know oh that's they were selling so much they constantly needed different inkers the style of inking changed to where I mean, if you looked at comics like Kirby did or, you know, Ramita Sr. or some of these guys who used to ink and, and pencil comics like way back in, you know, the Gold and Silver Age, the pencils were so much looser because the ink that they had were people who they were considered artists just as much at the time as the pencilers were by the people they were working with. Whereas in the 90s, once it was just kind of like, oh, crap, we need you know, 20 inkers for whatever these next books, let's just send a bunch of pages out and take back what looks cleanest. The penciling style changed too, so where it was super tight so that you couldn't have inkers who could experiment as much. And you had plenty of great inkers at the time too. I'm not trying to say that. I mean, Klaus Janssen, and he's, a, you know, incredible. I was looking at his pages in New York, just kind of like, you know, insane. But, you know, I feel like from what I see, it's a little different between then and now. But it's getting back to where, you know, they're looking for more kind of unique, expressive styles um, throughout for all the different kind of books that are coming out, which is yeah, th- cool. I, yeah, I think lately, in the last few, I've, I've only really been reading comics for about uh, going on eight years now. Yeah. But in the last, just in the time I've been reading, there's been a, a, a large um, kind of expansion of different different art styles, and it's been really cool to watch. Yeah. I think the internet plays a big part in that. I mean, it's allowed everybody from the companies to the artists to look at and find art that they would probably have never seen otherwise unless they went to a convention in say France or happened upon a book someone brought back with them and sold to a used bookstore in you know San Francisco somewhere and oh oh yeah you know now you can find these artists who outside of their home country you know 30 or 40 years ago or even 20 years ago or 10 years ago no one really knew about but because you have the internet there's just this much more global sense of of kind of the art community so people are able to have a lot more influences coming in from the outside which i think is also affecting that as well and how people are kind of thinking about their own art and that's you know the aesthetics and styles yeah it's funny you mentioned that. I was it was two years ago, maybe three years ago, at New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. I went to I went to a panel that Todd McFarlane was doing about um, Spawn. Yep. And uh, he he the artist at the time he had found online, and the guy was from Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So twenty years ago, I mean, I you know, communism and, and whatnot aside. Yeah. Twenty years ago, he'd have never found this guy because he would have never seen his work. Yep. And now it's someone to be influenced by. You know, so yeah. to look through and see what are they doing and, you know, why do I like that and how can I incorporate that into my work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had uh, here at the blog, we have a lot of, I, well, I wouldn't say a lot, but we have these moments when something cool happens. Um, uh-huh. For instance, when we get to interview Tom King over at DC, I mean, it's, it's right. a huge moment and we just go, holy crap, this is amazing. Right. And we're doing this what we wanted real. to do. Um, I was going to ask, are there moments like that for you? Uh, I got to meet Stan Lee nice. a couple of years back at uh, SCAD. He came in. I was lucky to be one of the couple students who got to sit with him and show him some of our artwork and listen to him tell a couple stories. Um, that was really awesome. 
um, getting, you know, the first time I had a table at a convention was Baltimore Comic Con in 2012, I think. Um, but I was, I got a table with there with my buddy Nikki because we were both recipients of the Mike Waringo Scholarship, which is a SCAD. So they were like, hey, you know, you can come out, you have a table here. And that was like a really mind-blowing, cool experience too, where we had a table and people were coming by and we had done stuff for the, that was the first year they did their uh, con art book. And oh, we wow. got to do something for the book and we were just kind of like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And everyone was excited and we wanted to sign, you know, the art books for people when they came by and... That was another kind of mind-blowing, like, super awesome experience like that. Yeah, I think those those are probably the top two that stick out in my mind, just kind of that first experience of having my own seat, you know, with my name on it. And, um, and meeting Stanley was really awesome. He's a super funny dude. Nice. So uh, typically to, to wrap up the show here, we, we go ahead and ask people uh, what they've been into uh, lately. Yeah. So what have what have you been into? Um, comics wise, I've been reading Southern Bastards, which is awesome. For Christmas, I got a hardcover of The Wake and Punk Rock Jesus because Sean Murphy's awesome, and I got um, some Sergio Topi books, The Collector, and uh, Shara's Day, which is like an Arabian Nights retelling. Um, I've also been reading a lot of different monthly books, like I mean, James of the Woods from Boom, um, Spread. I've been enjoying um black science i really like a lot of the image stuff sex criminals God, can't forget sex criminals, <laughs> sex criminals is is awesome and it's hard because there's so much good stuff out there right now which is super exciting we're in this like comics renaissance but it's also yeah. just like i i can't manage to pick up every good comic that comes out every month so it's just kind of but you know i've been wanting to check out rumble james heron and john rq it looks awesome you know Stuff like that that I haven't managed to get my hands on yet. Um, but, yeah, I go down to the shop probably once every couple of weeks and and see what's out there that I really dig. So, Have you happened to uh, happen to see the uh, the Sex Criminals Just the Tips book? No. It's, it's, a little, it's, a, it's a little book. It's probably about half the size of like a, like a paperback novel. Uh-huh. Half the size of the cover. It's really thin. But basically it's all of the, the random – "Quote unquote sex tips from sex criminals." That's like amazing. All, yeah, yeah, it's no, I, it's ridiculously funny. <laughs> really inappropriate, but really funny. Well, inappropriate for certain ages. <laughs> yeah, I think no, it's maybe it's, inappropriate uh, for everyone. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> having read some of those sex tips, I'm 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 not so convinced. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I need to check that out. That sounds great. So, uh, Tracy, what about you? Um, well, I'm on vacation, so you know that means I'm cramming myself full of media quick before the semester starts again. I don't know if you've heard about this great little three-part comic called Mimetic, but I'd, I've been reading that. Yeah, um, I heard it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it really is. Um, I just have been reading uh, Patrick Rothfuss's second book, The Wise Man's Fear, yes. and I did an article on that today. So if you haven't read that, check it out. I've been watching The Black Mirror, which is an extremely disturbing British uh, TV series. It's mostly sci-fi. It's based on the idea of what happens when it, it's the dark side of technology. Yeah. What, what's in store for humanity when all we do is pay attention to our computers and our phones, which that's almost here. I mean, we've already talked about that. So, it's really And then I've also, I'm sorry, what? 
Oh no, keep going. Sorry. I'm oh. saying yes, yes. <laughs> it's it's totally true. And then um, I also picked up a book at Borderless that Nikki recommended to me called God is Disappointed in You. And this is the Bible translated in a very uh, irreverent fashion. Um, the back says, this is for people who would like to read the Bible if it would just cut to the chase. And that's kind of what it is. It, it, it's very irreverent. Um, so I, I recommend this hesitatingly. But yeah, you should check it out. So that's what I've been into. And um, let's see, I have been reading uh, Alien, A River, uh, River of Pain, which is um, follows the um, the colonists on LV-426. So basically, it's it's kind of the, the bridging between Alien and Aliens. And that's from Titan Titan Books, and I've got a review of that coming out. It'll be out a couple days after this podcast comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really that was really good. Uh, I picked up Neil Gaiman's Good Omens, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, my friend Corey's been recommending that for a couple of weeks. Plus, I also got Neuromancer and <gasps> I have not. Yeah, I've not read Neuromancer, and I think Shane recommended that months ago, and I finally get around to it. <laughs> and uh, and The Martian. Nice. Well, I mean, you can't go you can't go wrong with Gaiman. So, yeah. mm, I don't know about that, but <laughs> I, I did tell you I picked up a couple of. He has children's books about this uh, panda bear that sneezes. They're they're really super cute, and I picked up a couple of them for my nephews. I'm really excited for them to get a hold of those. They're super cute. I don't know. I like Neil Gaiman. Yeah, my wife has, I think, pretty much everything that he's ever written. <laughs> um, actually, with the exception of Stardust, because she said she's not sure she's going to like the ending, so she doesn't want to read it because she likes the movie so much. But everything else she has, and she's read numerous times. So Nice. So I think that just about does it. Um, one last question for you, Eric, though, sure. uh, as I kind of forgot for a moment. Do you have any new projects coming out that you'd like to you can let us know about? Um, so, I mean, I do have some new projects coming out. Um, I'm working, but they're both kind of, or, or all of them are kind of top secret right now, so to say. Okay. Um, but I'm working on a cool creator-owned science fiction uh, deal right now, and then, you know, I think sometime in the next year you'll be seeing that and some other stuff coming for me too. So yeah, right now they're not in a, in a place where I can really say what they are, who they're with, but they're going to be cool. And I like what I'm doing on. So awesome. Right, we'll, we'll, uh, eyes peeled. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll keep in touch with you and, uh, and you know, let us, please let us know when, uh, when, when you're able to. Yeah, definitely. So if you like what we're doing here, at Therefore I Geek. You can check us out at thereforeigeek.com. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes and please leave us a review. You can check us out at facebook.com slash thereforeigeek or on Twitter at thereforeigeek and Tracy is at Merry Eyes. So once again, uh, Eric, I'd like to thank you for coming coming on. Thank you guys for having me. It was great. Yeah, we had a, lot, that's a good time here. And I'm Andrew. I'm Tracy. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek. I can't read. I didn't know how to write. My whole life has been one big fight. 